0: All right, friends if you can hear my voice the following sermon was recorded in, live at Foundation Church of Fredericksburg of in downtown Fredericksburg Virginia and uh, if you will open your Bibles to Jeremiah chapter 26. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word, which we uh, are now about to study. May the preaching and the exposition of your word work its way deep into our hearts and make room by casting down idols and exposing sins and doubts. And would the, the grace and the mercy of God be enlarged in us As we realize and feel and sense and experience in all the ways, the goodness of God and the truth of Christ and his work for us, you pray that the the next 45 minutes would be profitable, not for any creative turn of phrase or well-crafted saying, but because your word is alive, it's active and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing through bone and marrow quickening the heart and animating our souls to life. Help us learn to depend on your word for all grace and mercy, for the light on our path and the lamp to our feet. We ask God for a clarity of mind and a a soundness of presence as we study. We pray for the children as they learn and heed instruction from your word. We pray for our, our, our minds to be calmed And the restlessness of our lives and busyness would be stilled for a moment while we do come and feast at the bounty of your word and receive, yes, lots of grace. And pray as always in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Have you ever been to a busy uh, diner, restaurant, party, trying to have a conversation with somebody And finding it very difficult to hear what the other person is saying just because of how loud it can be on the other side. Or maybe the conversation you're having on the phone or with this particular person is not very interesting. And you're instead half listening to a conversation next to you that's much more riveting. Slightly eavesdropping and paying attention. And so, as a consequence, you're not quite following along with what's being told to you. Or if you're like me, every now and then your house erupts in a cacophony of noise and chaos and you can't even hear yourself think, let alone make sense of the situation you're having with your spouse. This is all too often, and quite honestly, it's just par for the course, living in a world that is constantly yelling at us. We put noise in front of our faces. We literally stick noise into our ears. We welcome it and it's everywhere to be found. In fact, we make a habit of trying to unplug from the noise of the world and literally going to sit in silence because there's too much of it in our lives. And part of that's our own doing, of course, and part of it is just because we live in the context of people whose lives are noisy. And while there's many different voices we hear and noises that come at us from various sizes, What we have to do is understand which voices are important, right? What is worth listening to? What do we strain and fight to hear? And what can we allow to ignore? What can we turn down the volume on? And that's what our passages, our chapters in today's uh, text is going to help us do to emphasize why it's important to pay attention to God's Word. Because just for a moment, think about if the stakes were raised in the conversation you might be having with a doctor who's trying to communicate the results of a test that you took over the phone, and yet your children are coming in constantly fighting, laughing, playing, whatever it might be. Or you're trying to confess your love to somebody over dinner, but somebody next door is having a birthday party, and so now it's super loud, everyone's cheering, and you're not really able to communicate or hear what needs to be said. Or if you're receiving news, or you're telling news, or the stakes are high, whatever it might be, if you've won or lost, what do we do? Well, if we're on the phone, we, we shut our one of our ears and we try to listen more intently. Or we'll go find a quiet place in our house, or maybe we'll just go sit in our car because that's the only quiet place we can find. Or we'll invite somebody to come meet us in, in private, and in quiet, where we can have a discussion uninterrupted. We realize when the stakes are higher, we'll pay closer attention and we'll make sure that we have all of our faculties engaged in the receiving and the heating, and the understanding of that particular message, Right? because we want to convey a message or we want to properly receive a message that's conveyed to us. We want to understand what it says. And over the course of four chapters here, chapter 26 through 29, we'll be understanding why it's so much more important when the stakes are as high as they are with God's word that we need to pay attention to what is being said. The passage highlights the need to discern the voice of the Lord, to be able to tune in to what He says through all the rest of the noises and the voices that you and I hear on a regular basis. And the passages we read it, as it's strung together encourages us then not only to learn to discern the voice of the Lord, but also encourages us to trust this word and his voice when we hear it. Even when it's difficult to do so, even when we're suffering or there's problems ahead of us, even when to obey, to hear, To know it, to trust it, might seem to cost us greatly. In fact, what I want us to walk away from this morning is a renewed sense of the priority and the primacy of God's Word in your life and your resolution. If you make New Year's resolutions, make this one. Your resolutions to hear the voice of the Lord through His Word and then to submit yourself to obeying it. That's a simple and clear resolution all Christians just make. So if you make a regular habit of reading your Bible and you're recommitting yourself to that task of this year, I want to commend you to do that. But if you don't regularly have a habit of reading your Bible, please find somebody in the congregation this morning and work through a book of the Bible together this month. Commit to read through a plan together with another brother or sister. Because what I want us to understand this morning is that God's Word comes to us and it expects us to pay attention to it. And it makes room in our lives that says, listen to me, hear me, hear what I have to say, and turn down the volume of all the other voices that are around us. There's no better time in the sort of the cycle of seasons than the new year to pay attention to the voice of the Lord and to make room and habits in your life to study what God has to say through it. So this morning, the title of the sermon is just simply called, Listen. And this is what Jeremiah is. He is a prophet of the Lord whose only job is to say to Judah, to the leaders, or to whomever he's called to speak what the Lord tells him to to speak. He's called to speak nothing else except what the Lord has told him to say. To do nothing else other than what the Lord has told him to do. He's a prophet of the Lord. His life is no longer his own. He's going to go where the Lord tells him to go, speak to whom the Lord tells him to speak, and to say exactly what the Lord tells him to say. He can't err from the message. He can't add to it. He can't try to explain it. He is a mouthpiece for the Lord. And Israel ought to have taken prophets seriously. The penalty for someone who claims to be a prophet and from their mouth says, thus says the Lord and gets it wrong, the penalty of that is death. In the law, commanded to kill a prophet who dares to speak in the name of the Lord and yet whose words not come to pass. This is how seriously they took God's messages. This is existing in a day where they didn't have books and Bibles and podcasts to just go and listen and hear people preach. They had the scroll and they would come to a priest or they would come to a prophet and he would speak what the Lord has told them. They were to depend upon the mouthpieces of God. This is how the word of the Lord came to Judah, to Israel, and indeed to the whole world, through the mouthpiece of the prophet's Of God, The problem, of course, is that we live in a noisy world, and there are lots of other people claiming to either speak for God or to have a better word than God. The other nations' gods claim to be more superior, more glorious, more mighty. Even some of the other prophets, as we see within Judah, claim to have a different word from the Lord than Jeremiah was preaching. And so it was the obligation, then, of the people of Judah, and particularly the leaders of Judah, to be able to discern, who do I listen to? Whose voice do I trust? Which message is the true message from God? I think we can understand what that might be like. You might have throughout your life been confused about what the will of the Lord is. You've, You've heard conflicting reports about what God might want for your life from this preacher over here, from that Christian there, from your parents this way, or from your friends over here. And you're wrestling with, how do I know what the Lord is telling me to do? I can't make sense of this particular passage of the Bible, so how do I know if it's what God wants? Well, the key is that Christians must learn to understand and discern the voice of the Lord so that they can obey it and trust it when they hear it. Even in a several options of many good choices, knowing what the Lord wants you to do, the direction He intends for you to go, is an immensely powerful gift in the Christian's life. It saves heartache and frustration and wandering. It saves countless hours and seasons or even years of waiting and not acting. So friends, as we study this morning, the goal for you is to prioritize the word of God in your life so that you can learn to discern God's word, his voice. So that as you hear him speak, you with confidence and not with hesitation can trust and obey it. That doesn't mean it will be difficult or won't be difficult to obey it. At times what he asks you to do will be very difficult. But the first step in obeying the Lord is to understand and hear him. And that's what this passage this morning teaches us to do. Because of the breadth of it, the, these 26, seven, eight, and nine, we won't be able to read the entire work. So you're gonna do well to have your Bible open in front of you and we're gonna stay at a relatively high altitude to work our way through it. And then along the way I'll point you to a couple key passages in the chapter as we go. The rest of our study in Jeremiah will be like this. Instead of taking one chapter at a time or a smaller segment of a chapter at a time, we'll take several together over the next uh, 12 more studies here and take them uh, in larger chunks. The way that we're gonna do this is look at chapter 26, then take 27 and 28 together, and then look at 29, which is an often cited passage, and study those independently. The way that we're gonna do this is primarily thread the needle with the theme of listening to the voice of God through the work and the word of the prophet of God. The prophet here is Jeremiah speaking what God has commanded him to speak, doing what God has commanded him to do. And we're going to notice what it looks like for him to do that well and the obligation and the responsibility of those who he's speaking to to hear and listen to his word versus the other ones. So the common theme throughout these chapters is to listen to Jeremiah, namely, really, ultimately, to listen to God through Jeremiah's word, and not to listen to the false prophets that are speaking contrary to his word. Or to the other nations and to the other wisdom of the world that speaks contrary to the word of God. That's the theme that's run through. So in chapter 26 we see the story contained where Jeremiah himself is being accused of being a false prophet. He's blasphemy. He's saying that the temple is going to be destroyed, that an army is going to come and lay desolation to everything. Of course, this has been the message we've been reading about from Jeremiah from the very beginning. And here he's under threat of death now because if a prophet falsely prophesies, he will be put to death. So look in verse verse 1 of 26 and you see the story begin to unfold when it says that in the beginning of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, the word came from the Lord to Jeremiah. Thus says the Lord to stand in the court of the Lord's house, that is in the temple, and speak to all the cities of Judah that come to worship in the house of the Lord all the words that I command you to speak. And do not hold back a word. It may be that they will listen and everyone will turn from these evil ways and that I may relent of the disaster that I intend to do to them because of their evil deeds. You shall say to them that if you will not listen to me to walk in my law that I have set before you and to listen to the words of my servants, the prophets whom I have sent you urgently, if you do not listen, then I will make this house like Shiloh. And I will make this city a curse for all the nations of the earth. Shiloh was a famous city that was destroyed because of Israel's incompetence. So the priest, in verse 7, and the prophets and all the people of, of Judah heard Jeremiah speak these words in the house of the Lord. And when Jeremiah had finished speaking, all that the Lord had commanded him to speak To all the people, then the priests and the prophets and all the people laid hold of him, saying, you shall die. They immediately just assume he's prophesying falsely. Why, verse 9, have you prophesied in the name of the Lord, saying that this house shall be like Shiloh and this city be desolate without inhabitant? And all the people gathered around Jeremiah in the house of the Lord. So this is a, a moment of great despair for Jeremiah as he's threatened with death. And then ultimately he goes to trial. So when the officials of Judah heard these things, they came from the king's house To the house of the Lord, and they took their seat in the entry of the new gate of the house of the Lord. And then the priests and the prophets said to the the, said to the officials and to all the people that this man deserves the sentence of death because he has prophesied against this city, as you have heard with your own ears. What's Jeremiah's response? Verse twelve. Jeremiah spoke to all the officials and the people, saying, "The Lord sent me to prophesy against you, against this house and the city, and all the words that you have heard. Therefore, mend your ways." and your deeds. He's now doubling down on the message that he says, mend your way, repent, obey the voice of the Lord, and the Lord will relent of the disaster he has pronounced against you. But as for me, I am in your hands. Do with me as seems good and right to you, but only know for certain that if you put me to death, you will bring innocent blood upon yourselves and upon this city and its inhabitants. For in truth, the Lord sent me to speak all these words in your ears. Bold, Jeremiah doubles down on, this, on his message like a prophet ought, even faced with the threat of death. The chapter goes on to say that ultimately they recognize that because he prophesied the name of the Lord, there is something clear about his message that they should at least pay attention to or at the very least not put the man to death. And so it's in verse 16, the officials and all the people said to the priests and the prophets, this man does not deserve the sentence of death for he has spoken to us in the name of the Lord our God. And the rest of the chapter tells of different stories of how others were treated similarly, some who were able to be received and some who indeed were put to death. But it says at the end of that chapter, verse 24, "But the hand of Iakim, the son of Shapheth, was with Jeremiah so that he was not given over to the people to be put to death. So Jeremiah is dragged before the court and accused of prophesying falsely against Judah and against the temple of God where God's presence would dwell a very important and significant place in the life of Judah and of God's people. And the threat of which would be death because surely God would not destroy his own temple. Therefore, he must be prophesying falsely. And when he's demanded to speak for himself, he doubles down on the message that God gave him, tells him he must repent. And by God's grace, his words are recognized for the prophecy that it is, and he is spared. Although his life doesn't necessarily get any easier. But what this particular chapter reveals to us about the voice of the Lord is that it often comes to us through people who are willing to speak it even against our own misconceptions and against our preferences. See, real prophets like Jeremiah will say what God commands, not just what people want to hear. Nobody was expecting the prophet to show up and say that the temple was going to be destroyed. That was not on the top of their mind. It's not what they desired. It certainly was not not in their own plans for what God was intending to do. But we recognize that this isn't the first time somebody has said destruction would come unless you repent. Verse 20 says that there was another man who prophesied in the name of the Lord, Uriah, the son of Shema of uh, there. And he prophesied against the city and against this land in the words, like those of Jeremiah. But we killed him. Perhaps this time we should heed Jeremiah's warning. Real prophets will come and say what God commands them to say and not simply what people want to hear. Or to put it in another way, the New Testament says that there will be some who will come and preach just to tickle the ears of those whom they want to please. In other words, we could say that many preachers and prophets and those who will come and declare the word of God will simply do so to confirm our biases, our preferences, our own desires. But you can tell when someone is truly speaking the word of God when in due course they offend you with it. When your own sensibilities are confronted by what the Lord has said. If sermon after sermon, chapter after chapter, study after study, you walk away only encouraged and never beaten down by the word of God, you can be sure that you have missed at least partly the point. Because prophets will come and say what God has commanded them to say, and double down on it, and it doesn't matter if you like it or not, it is the word of the, God, of the Lord. Not only this, but real prophets are then willing to stand on the word of God. Double down on it, even when you don't like it. What we need to realize is that the word of God has come to confront us. Jesus' own ministry was to bring a sword to divide us against that which we claim we love, and that which we were made to truly love. The word is active," Hebrew says, "Living, sharper than any two-edged sword, and it cuts down to the marrow and even to the very heart. It will confront us. It has been said that the Word of God is like a mirror in which we see all of our sins, our faults. We see the warts and the ugliness of our sin. And if when we look in the mirror of Scripture and we only see that what we want to see, we have distorted and caused over ourselves a delusion which cannot be true. This is not to say that we cannot be encouraged by Scripture, comforted by Scripture, enamored with Scripture, pleased, and see our future as we would have it. But it is a misuse of Scripture to come simply to read and to be entertained by it, or to be encouraged by it. We must listen to everything it has to say to us. The Word of God is profitable. All scripture being breathed out by God is profitable for reproof and correction as well as training the building up of righteousness for the man of God. We must listen to everything the word of the Lord has to say to us and we must be willing to heed its commands and submit to its demands. So here in the story of Jeremiah being accused of being a false prophet, shines a light on the power and the primacy of the word of God, even at great cost to himself, by which we learn that the word will come and say what the word has intended to say, whether we like it or not. So as you make a habit this year of studying the Bible or recommitting yourself to your your working through your Bible reading plan, know that when you come to a passage, first consider what it must confront in your own heart, what it speaks of you, and how you must learn and submit yourself to it. Not first have that somebody else's problem and you're waiting to get to the good pit. Be willing to listen to everything the word has to say to you. The good, the bad, and the ugly. As we move on in chapter 27 and 28, we learn that Jeremiah then is confronting other false prophets. And he warns against the power of listening to the wrong voice. In 26, we see that he, he said, you must listen to God's word. It is your decision. I have said what God has told me to say. It is your choice whether to listen to it or not. Well, later, about 10 years later, which is covered in 27 and 28, we see Jeremiah then confronting and again reminding them not to listen to the false prophets or to the false voices of falsehood, but to Jeremiah's word. That is the word of God. So there in verse verse 1 of 27, we see him pick up again, this time in the reign of Zedekiah, who's the last king there of Judah before the Babylon captivity. He says, make for yourself, this is in verse 2, straps and yoke bars and put them on your neck. In other words, put a, make a yoke and wear a yoke around you. A yoke is something that would you would put on an ox or a beast of burden to do the work in the field. It meant that you were subservient to a burden of some sort. Often slaves would have to use this as they did work. Jeremiah is called to make a yoke and put it on himself and then send word to the king of Edom, Moab, and the sons of Ammon, the king of Tyre, and the king of Sidon by the hands of the envoys who have come to Jerusalem, to Zedekiah, the king of Judah, and give them this charge. Go to their masters, and thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, this is what you shall say to them. It is I who by my great power and my outstretched arm have made the earth... With the men and the animals that are on the earth, and I give it to whomever seems right to me. And so now I have given all of these lands into the hands of Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, my servant. And I have given them also to the beasts of the field, given him also the beasts of the field to serve him, and all the nations shall serve him, and his son and his grandson until the time of his own land comes. And then shall many nations and great kings make him their slave. But if any nation or kingdom will not serve this Nebuchadnezzar king of Babylon and puts its neck under the yoke of the king of Babylon, I will punish that nation with the sword, with famine, and with pestilence, declares the Lord, until I have consumed it by his hand. So do not listen to your prophets, your diviners, your dreamers, your fortune tellers, or your sorcerers who are saying to you, you shall not serve the king of Babylon. For it is a lie that they are prophesying to you. With the result that You will be removed far from your land, and I will drive you out, and you will perish. But any nation that will bring its neck under the yoke of the king of Babylon and serve him, I will leave on its own to work the land and to dwell there, declares the Lord. This is the same message he gives to all the nations that are there in Jerusalem, presumably to try and get Zedekiah Judah to align with them as they try to fight the growing Babylon power. This message then goes to Zedekiah, the very king of Judah himself. And then Jeremiah again repeats the same message to all the priests and the people there in verse 16. So the message comes, of course, that they are not to listen to false prophets, diviners, sorcerers, and whatever voices they may hear, but to heed the word of the Lord, that they are going to and must submit themselves even temporarily to a yoke of servitude to Nebuchadnezzar because that is the purpose and the plans of God. And if they do this and obey it, they will be able to stay in their land, keep it, and it will be returned to them in time. But if they decide not to, they will be destroyed and driven from their land. So while the logical course of action, of course, might be for nations to ally together, to defeat or at least try to hold off Babylon, which inevitably they could not do, Jeremiah knows that God's purposes will be fulfilled in the temporary reign of King Nebuchadnezzar. And in this case, it's both the safest action and the necessary action, that they must bear the yoke of servitude. And he tells them not to listen to other voices that say that this isn't what God wants for you. Examine and know, if you could discern the Lord's word, that this is what he has indeed to say. And he goes on to tell them about how others will be taken away. <coughs> in, verse, in chapter 28, This whole issue about the vessels of the temple that will be carted off and whether or not these vessels in the temple will ever be returned. And Jeremiah says, of course, that the vessels in chapter 28 are simply symbolic of all of Judah's situation, that they should not expect things to be restored before God's word is ultimately fulfilled. Instead, they should be praying for God's mercy. So Jeremiah speaks in verse verse 5 of chapter 28. I'm sorry, 27, verse 18. If they are prophets, and if the word of the Lord is with them, then let them intercede with the Lord of hosts that the vessels that are left in the house of the Lord and in the house of the king of Judah and in Jerusalem may not go out to Babylon. For thus says the Lord of hosts concerning the pillars, the sea, the stands, and the rest of the vessels that are left in this city, which Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, did not take away when he took into exile from Jerusalem To Babylon, Jehoiakim and the son of Jehoiakim, the king of Judah, and all the nobles of Judah and Jerusalem, thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel: Concerning these vessels that are left, they shall be carried to Babylon, and remain there until the day when I visit them, declares the Lord. Then I will bring them back, and restore them to this place. The problem is that people were thinking that this would certainly not be as bad as Jeremiah says it would be. Surely, whatever Nebuchadnezzar takes, he will return. The Lord will be on their side that's listening to false prophets, listening to lies, believing in hope when there is no reason to, despite the word of the Lord telling them differently. And here comes a prophet, Hananiah, in chapter 28, that determines, of course, that Jeremiah is wrong. He offers an alternate prophecy. In verse 28, there comes, in verse 5, Hananiah, the prophet, in the presence of the priests and all the people who were standing in the house of the Lord where Jeremiah is speaking, and in in the presence of prophet Jeremiah, he says to them, I'm sorry, I'm getting ahead of myself. There in verse two, thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, I have broken the yoke of the king of Babylon. With In two years, I will bring back to this place all the vessels of the Lord's house, which Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, took away from this place and carried to Babylon. So Jeremiah just said, the vessels that will be carted off will not come back until God has determined them to come back. Here comes another prophet whom Jeremiah has said to ignore your prophets and submit yourself to Nebuchadnezzar for his purposes Here comes another prophet that says, no, 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 Jeremiah is wrong. Within two years, verse 3, within two years I'll bring back to this place all the vessels of the Lord's house, which Nebuchadnezzar took and carried to Babylon. I will also bring back to this place the king of Judah and all the exiles from Judah who went to Babylon, declares the Lord, for I will break the yoke of the king of Babylon. So what's Jeremiah to do? Here is a prophet who comes and determines that Jeremiah is wrong, offering an alternate prophecy, of course one which surely sounded more appealing to those who were listening to it. That sounds better, that we won't languish in obscurity without the temple ornaments that we need. It'll come back in two years. We can last for two years. God's on our side. Surely Hananiah must be right. But unfortunately Hananiah is going to serve as an example of the dangers of misrepresenting God's truth and misleading God's people. Now in verse five, Jeremiah speaks And he even says, I I wish this were true. He says, Amen. May the Lord do so. Bring him back in two years and all the people and the king with him. May the Lord make the words that you have prophesied come true and bring back from this place, from Babylon, the vessels of the house of the Lord and all the exiles. Yet hear now this word that I speak in your hearing in the prophets of all the people. The prophets who preceded you and me from ancient time, they prophesied war, famine, and pestilence against many countries and the great kingdoms. As for the prophet who prophesies peace, when the word of that prophet comes to pass, then it will be known that the Lord has truly sent that prophet. Sarcastically, he says, I hope you're right, Hananiah, but you know what happens when someone who prophesies peace and war comes, what the stake is there, and the ones who speak peace in wartime and that peace comes to pass, then we will really be able to vet who's right and who's wrong. Jeremiah had made for himself in this big dazzling display and a great uh, visual. He says, no, this is what God will do. Believe me. But the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah and says, no, Hananiah is wrong. So in verse 12, sometime after the prophet Hananiah had broken the yoke from the neck of Jeremiah the prophet, the word came to Jeremiah. Verse 13, go tell Hananiah, but thus says the Lord, you have broken wooden bars, but you have made in their place bars of iron, for thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, I have put upon the neck of all those nations an iron yoke to serve Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, and they shall serve him. For I have given to him even the beasts of the field. And Jeremiah the prophet said to the prophet Hananiah, Listen, Hananiah, listen, the Lord has not sent you and you have made this people trust in a lie. Therefore, thus says the Lord, Behold, I will remove you from the face of the earth. This year you shall die because you have uttered rebellion against the Lord in that same year. In the seventh month, the prophet Hananiah died. So now we have a clear model, an example of the dangers of misrepresenting God's truth and misleading God's people. It says that he has caused the people, made the people in verse 15 to trust in a lie and because in verse 16, uttered a rebellion against the Lord. So the danger here is one of great consequence that a prophet's word Demands trust. Jeremiah, as he spoke, demanded trust, but so did Hananiah. But one would bear out to be true, and one would clearly be false. The consequence for failing to heed and trust the true word of the, of the Lord will be disastrous, as is disastrous to speak when the Lord has not commanded you to speak. What we see here is that there are other voices that will constantly be competed against the word of the the Lord. Even Jeremiah had his competitors. It was not guaranteed that Jeremiah would come out always victorious, that there would be leaders and people who would be led astray by these other false prophets. And it was Jeremiah's job to constantly call them to repentance, to back on track, and to heed the word of the Lord as he spoke it. And the only way that they would know that it is his is that they could discern the voice of the Lord and that the word of the Lord would prove true in the end. The word of the Lord will expose voices that run counter to God's will. You can determine whether a man or a woman speaks truly the voice of the Lord if he exposes the false voices and prophets that you believe in your heart. Friends, know that there is a battle for truth going on in this world and that you and I are engaged in it. And in fact, this battle in the front lines of it are in our very minds and in our own very hearts. The voices to whom we incline our ear will be those that inform our thoughts and guide our actions. There is a battle for truth. There is a battle for the supremacy of what is right. There is a battle for trust. And it is the word of God which must win. How do we discern the voice of the Lord? How do we determine what is true and right? Friends, you and I must search the scriptures. We must seek the Lord. We must be like the Bereans in Acts 17. When they received the word with all eagerness, examined the scriptures daily, to see if these things were so. They did not take Paul's word. They took God at his word. When the prophets came and the apostles came to Berea, speaking what the Lord had told them to speak, they were skeptical. This is a new message from the Lord. And so they went to the scriptures to see, is what Paul says really true? What about Apollos? What about Peter? Is this really what God is saying? And they did so eagerly. They examined the scriptures daily to make sure that what was being taught to them by these teachers was indeed true, that indeed lined up with what God was revealing in his word. So as I preach and as you hear any one of us speak from scripture, you must do your own work in determining whether what I say is true or not. The standard and the criteria for truth is not in how emphatically I say it or how impressive it may sound, but whether or not it is in the word. Is it there? And the only way that you can answer that question is if you study it for yourself. And so not only must you read regularly so that you may learn to discern the voice of the Lord and all that it has to say to you, but you must become so familiar with it that you can hear the voice of the Lord in the preacher's voice, in the teacher's words, in the counsel of your friend, in the lines of the book that you're reading. You should be able to sniff out falsehood and heresy. Your antennas should go up when someone promises something that is not guaranteed in Scripture or leads you astray when someone wants you to buy or do or trade or sell something that benefits them and not your soul. You must be willing to turn down the volume on the voices that would not lead you to the word of God. We continue in verse, chapter 29, and this is a familiar chapter, of course, chapter 29, verse 11, where I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, written on every high school graduate's card along with maybe 50 or 100 bucks. But often this is misquoted and is taken out of context. That the promise there is not that everyone will have a fulfilling life, but rather in the midst of exile, in the midst of difficulty, what they can rely on is God's Word. That's the whole point of this chapter. And Jeremiah, again, is called to confront false prophets. So in chapter 29, he writes a letter to those who are in exile from Jerusalem. He can't travel there himself. He's also on the run. He's writing a letter to all of those who are in exile there in Babylon, telling them, again, not to heed the voice of the false prophets that are telling them that this will all be over soon, that they'll just a few more years and we'll be able to go back home, that the kings will return, that they don't need to settle down, that they don't need to do what they need to do to, to survive, that they can just simply wait it out. So Jeremiah is going to write a letter and he tells them, listen, The voice of the Lord says that you should stay and heed all that he has said. He goes on to say in verse 3 that the letter was sent by the hand of servants to Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, and it said this, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles to whom I had sent in exile from Jerusalem to Babylon, build houses and live in them, plant gardens and eat their produce, take wives I did not send them, declares the Lord. So the the message is that the people who tell you that this is all going to be over, this is not as bad as you think it is, that you can simply wait it out and all will be right very soon, are lying. They are not of God. Beware of their message. See, a prophet will come not only to confront, but also to comfort. God's purposes are greater and you can trust in them. So he goes on to say in verse 10, when you seek me with all your heart. And I will be found by you, declares the Lord. And I will restore your fortunes and gather you from all the nations and all the places where I have driven you, declares the Lord. And I will bring you back to the place from which I sent you into exile. So the, con- the confrontation is, do not listen to the lies and the deceits of the dreamers and the false prophets. But it also comes not only to confront, but to comfort. I have a purpose. I do have a plan. The reason you're attracted to the lies And the deceit of others is because you have not trusted and believed that my plans and purposes are better, but they are. So, a prophet and the word of the Lord must come to comfort. It must here chart a course of trust and obedience to God. Put stakes in the ground, dwell there, build houses, plant gardens, start a family, seek the welfare of the city, pay your taxes, join the clubs. You will be there a while, but when the while is over, I will restore you. I have a purpose and I have a plan. And I will take care of all that has come to pass. In the remainder of the the chapter, he goes on to say that he will bring to Babylon all that they deserve. That he will restore the fortunes of Israel and take out the nations that worked against him. In other words, the prophet here is going to describe the way out. And so Jeremiah paints a vision of an exilic life, a life in exile, in which it is possible to please God, to be faithful to God, to even flourish in His care, to experience the delight of His comfort even when they're in exile. But all of this comes not from trusting and hoping against hope that everything will turn out good really soon, but rather from trusting God's word and his purposes, and his timing, even when it's difficult to do so. The temptation was to pull away from Babylonian society and just wait it out until the Lord returns. But here, Jeremiah, or God through Jeremiah says, you can dig in. You can dwell there. You trust me. I will restore you. There's three things we need to recognize about the word of God then as it relates to us through Jeremiah's letters Here. Remembering first that the word of God is revelation. This is revelation, meaning that God is revealing his purposes and his will and his word. He's telling them there. He wants them to stay. He wants them to work. He wants them to live. He wants them to start families. He wants them there and that he will come back. And he tells them when? In 70 years. It is revealing the will of God to them. The word of God is a revelation. It is providing light to their dark minds and opening up what God wants of them as clear as can be told from the lips of a prophet or from his pen in this case. It is in verse in Psalm 19, a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. For so the word of God is revelation. It is how God reveals himself, his will and his plans for us. The fact that we do not often come to God's word as revelation in rather mere history, tells us that we do not understand that He is speaking to us and telling us what He wants of us in it. But not only is the Word of God revelation, it is also relevant, meaning that it provides real and direct insights into our lives of those who would listen and hear its voice. This is not an ancient text only, although, yes, it was written many thousands of years ago but it is immensely relevant. In fact, the beauty of the Bible is that however old it is, it is so immensely relevant to our life today that no other book can claim such truthfulness and relevance. It is relevant because it provides insights for the lives of those who hear its voice. As you read it, you can be directed by its truth as a 21st century Christian, just the same as a 1st century Christian would just the same as a sixth-century B.C. Judah would. is that amazing? That God, who reveals himself in scripture, speaks as relevant to you today as he did to any other Christian and believer, Old Testament saint he did before. Hebrews 11 will tell us all these and people in the Old Testament were those who believed and accepted God's word as relevant to them over the course of many thousands of years, and today you, Christians, stand in the presence of such great a cloud of witnesses. They've gone before us in faith and belief. They've recognized the revelation of God's word and the relevance of God's word. Therefore, as you read it this year, as you put your attention and your affection and your study to it, know that it is speaking not from a place of obscurity or ancient religion, but to a place where you can heed its word today. It is relevant to your marriage, to your work. It is relevant to your family. It is relevant to your relationships. It's relevant to every aspect of your life. It's relevant to the way you raise your children. It's relevant to the way that you perform your duties at work. It's relevant to the way that you listen to music. It's relevant to the books you read. It's relevant to the words you speak. The Bible is relevant to the Christian life. And lastly, the Word of God is a roadmap. The Word of God is a roadmap. Meaning that it offers its readers a step-by-step instruction on how to please God by faith. Now, it doesn't have every circumstance that anyone could ever encounter and tell you exactly what to do in it. But it lays out a roadmap of theological principles (coughs) and oftentimes of clear things to do in the midst of certain situations that grow your faith and sustain you in your faith. Meaning that if you are stuck with a question about how to behave or what to do or how to respond, you can turn to God's Word And more often than not, find a clear answer to that question. It may take study. It may take discernment. It may take conversation with a friend. But you can see that the Word of God would have you step by step live in faith. So the Word of God is revelation. It is relevant and it is a roadmap to its readers. What does all this mean? As we study these chapters, we see that there are certain attitudes towards God's Word that you and I need to recognize are present in this world as well. The attitudes of Jeremiah's day is that God is not as mad at Jeremiah as Jeremiah is making him out to seem. And therefore, he's not going to punish us as long or as severely. Right? They would say, surely God would not punish his people so severely as to destroy the temple or to put us in captivity for 70 years. It'll be a few years maybe. Certainly all these things will come back to us in due time. Or they might say that there's nothing to learn from exile that we don't already know. And so there's really no need to accept that God's word, everything that he says, it's going to downplay it a little bit. The attitudes towards the word of God shows us that they cared nothing, not just for his word, but for God himself. For if they put a primacy on God's word, it would flow from a primacy of God himself. So we can ask ourselves, what are the attitudes of the word of God today? What are the attitudes of the word of God outside the walls of the church? But even what are the attitudes towards the word of God inside the church What are the common and general attitudes of your family to the Word of God? Of course, we can probably guess and would be right to expect that the world tends to reject the truth of Scripture. We may be surprised to observe that the average Christian's attitude towards God's Word is really not that much different than an unbeliever. There may be an acknowledgment of authority. They may have a family heirloom Bible that they keep at home. But this authority is something more akin to like the royal family's authority in England, which is more traditional and ceremonial authority than actual relevance. They have a king and a queen and they knight some people and do something with the prime minister, but the running of the government has nothing to do with the royal family. They're more figureheads, ceremonial authority. Their authority has been preserved, but it's an empty authority. And that's many Christians' attitudes today about the Bible. I don't know if you've recognized it. Maybe you've held that same attitude that the Bible is important. It is the Word of God. And yet practically, it has no real relevance to your life. Have you struggled with that kind of authority towards the Bible? It's really no difference than how people assume authority of the Scripture outside of the church, but we should not see that be the same case inside. Meaning, we're believing instead of the authority of Scripture, inevitably other authorities take its place. And with that comes many dangers, which gives us false assurances that, of course, are going to correspond to the desires that we have in the first place, confirm our biases and our prejudices. It's going to blind us to the good that the will would do because we're believing false assurances and false prophecies and we are going to miss what God is really saying. And it's even going to stir us to counsel rebellion against the Lord as we saw the other false prophets were accused of doing and why they were put to death. So what we need to learn is that the primacy of God's word is relevant to our lives today not simply because we have it before us bound and neatly copied down in leather but because the word of God is real and that salvation comes to us by the hearing and the heeding of the word of God. That if Judah was going to escape judgment all they had to do was heed the word of God. Listen to the voice of the Lord. Relent from their ways and God himself will relent from his So salvation comes by hearing the word of God. But the New Testament tells us even further than this, that it is the word of Christ. Faith comes by hearing the word of Christ, Romans 10 says. And Jesus is the true word of God we are taught in the New Testament. And he is the one who sets us free from the winds of falsehood. He is the one who who defeats all the enemies of falsehood. His voice becomes clearer and louder and we learn to hear and know his voice instinctually where he says, I am the good shepherd who lays his life down for the sheep. The sheep know my voice and follow me. Is Jesus your shepherd whose voice you know, heed and follow? He is the true word of God who speaks. Hebrews says that he is the exact imprint of the nature of God and the radiance of his glory. The fullness of deity dwells in him. If you want to know what God says, you can listen to the words of Jesus. If you have seen the Jesus, you have seen the Father. He is the true word of God. He is the full and complete revelation that God has declared. There is no other. Not only is he the true word of God who sets us free from the winds of falsehood, meaning that we can heed and listen to his voice versus the lies of others, but he himself speaks to us as the true prophet of the Lord. And he delivers the message of true peace. Not what others lie about what peace would come if we just do this or do that if we listen to them or if we indulge ourselves in these ways but the true prophet comes and he the one alone delivers a message of peace because he secures it for us. If Jesus then is our true prophet if he indeed speaks the word of God fully, completely and perfectly if his very person is the complete revelation of God in this world then we must do all that we can to trust and obey this word. And to attune our sensibilities and our minds and our hearts to understand and learn what his voice sounds like. All of this means that the promises he gives us in the New Testament have and will be fulfilled when he comes. His promise is that he will come again, he will judge the living and the dead, he will make all things right again. You and I are living in an exile just as Judah was living in exile at the time. And just as Jeremiah 29, 11 says that God's plans is to come, return them to their homeland, secure for them a future where they will prosper again, Jesus says that as well. That as we wander around and we are tempted to listen to all the voices that are going on around us, Jesus' voice must be clearer and must be louder. And if we trust and listen to his voice, we will hear him saying that I will come again. I will restore you to my presence, to grace, Into mercy, and to flourishing. All that you were created to be, you will have if you trust and obey the will of the Lord. So friends, learn this year. Study God's word. Become familiar with His voice instinctively so that when He calls you, when He speaks to you, you heed, you trust, you obey. Let's pray. Uh, Father, uh, there is a, a lot that competes with Your voice, but really we acknowledge that there is no one who can truly compete. Uh, but we, we lead ourselves astray and deceive ourselves in thinking that words of life can be found anywhere else outside of Christ. So we say with Peter, where else can we go, Lord, for you have the words of eternal life. Help us to read, study, and to know your voice. Help us to tune out the, the falsehood and the lies and of the seats of other voices around us Help us to be eager to seek in Scripture your Word, to discern the will of the Lord through your Word, and in obedience, lead out of trust to your Word, and whatever the calling it may have for us. We trust you for this as always, and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All sermons are released under a Creative Commons non-commercial, no derivative 3.0 license. If you would like to learn more or listen to past sermons, please visit us at foundationfxbg.com.